Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, the only prize it would ever get awarded is the Pooplitzer. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining 18 and over only Pipes Magazine radio show. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my office, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, in a little town called Concord, North Carolina. And I'll tell you why I mentioned that in a minute. But in tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, I'm going to talk about my favorite part of my job, which is bringing new products to market. My guest tonight is pipe maker Ernie Markle. Ernie's got an announcement to make. And music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, let me tell you what happened over the weekend. And here's why I said Concord, North Carolina, because spent the weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is located... Not even in the city of Charlotte, not even in the same county, but in the city of Concord, North Carolina, where I live and where my office is. So we always pick on the people at the racetrack for saying Charlotte Motor Speedway and it's a beautiful day here in Charlotte. Well, you're not even in the same county. So I'm not going to say just outside of Charlotte anymore. I'm going to call it what it is. It's Concord, North Carolina. However, Let's go back and recap real quick a little bit of what happened at the racetrack. On uh, Saturday was the Nationwide Race Day, and we got a chance to meet and spend the afternoon in the pit box of the number 16, Ryan Reed. Ryan is a uh, type 1 diabetic. He's 20 years old, been uh, insulin dependent now for three years. So my daughter got a chance to meet him. She got an autographed hat from him. We hung out in the uh, garage a little bit, spent the time in the pit box. bunch of his sponsors there, Eli Lilly, Lilly Diabetes was there, and they were really kind or made sure that she got to see him and got to spend some time with him, and we had a great time. Uh, Saturday, that was the nationwide race. No, he didn't win, but it's his rookie season. Sunday was the Coca-Cola 600. We spent the entire day running around the racetrack doing all the fun things that we like to do, visiting with NASCAR drivers, got a couple more autographs, and guess what we finally got? (laughs) Yeah, we finally got Jimmy Johnson to autograph a hat. Two little squiggles on a hat that look like a little JJ. Well, guess what? We got him, so he's not so much of a wiener anymore. Well, he's still a wiener. We just outweighed him, and he won the race, so he was happy. His ego was inflated. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get the show going. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. 
Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. If you'd like to see pictures from the race weekend, uh, they're on my Facebook page. It's under my name, Brian Levine. You'll even see how close we were to Kurt Busch's helicopter when he landed on the infield and almost blew our hats off, but it's kind of fun to watch people chasing their hats across the way. Anyway, in pipe parts, the reason I mention this now, one of my favorite parts of the job that I have for Brigham is creating or introducing new products. We are right in the middle of finishing touches on some new introductions because the big annual trade show the ipcpr is coming up in july and that is obviously the time and place for us as a importer and manufacturer to introduce new products to retailers thousand retailers will be there from across the world so that's the key time for us to bring out a new product One of the things that we're looking at is a new size of our giant pipe, or a new shape of our giant pipe. And here's how it kind of goes with each one of the products that we introduce. First of all, we have to identify, obviously, if there's a demand out there. In particular, there's a demand for a line of pipes that, that's all I'm going to say about them right now, but there's a demand for a line of pipes that is not readily available on the U.S. market right now. Uh, with this new shape of, of giant pipe that we're looking at, it's something that the factory recommended to us. So similar to how the process goes with a tobacco blender creating a blend, we get samples from the factory of the products that we've asked them for, and we may source out multiple factories especially if it's a non-pipe related item but if it's a if it's an accessory we may go to two or three different sources three or four start looking at quality of the product first then start talking pricing ask for samples ask them to modify a few things on the item before we go forward so here's what's happened so far with the giant The factory sent us some samples of what they thought they could do for us. We made some comments and some notes, sent them an email back, sent a picture back pointing to the areas that we wanted some minor tweaks. We weren't a real big fan of one of the little treatments to the the rim of the bowl that they were doing on this particular shape, so we had to modify that a little bit. But we look at everything that they're doing and we want to see if there's anything that we need to modify to make it better or 
a, uh, a more acceptable item. With this new line of pipes that we're looking at, I had the supplier send me, and this was a fun day for me because I got about 40 different samples that have arrived in two different boxes, unpacked them, played with them, smoked them, smoked most of them, haven't smoked all of them yet, but then lined them up in what I thought would be the more popular shapes, took a few pictures, sent it around to a couple of our sales reps, got their opinion of it, of what the more popular shapes would be. Then we reorganized it, made a few little modifications again, and asked the manufacturer if they could tweak this or change this a little bit, do that a little bit. Uh, there's a little treatment to the stem that we want them to do on these, and then we had to start talking price again. Now, the idea with the pricing is it also comes into play with how much we're going to order. So you go back and forth for a while like that, and then what we'll end up doing is we'll end up taking these uh, these 40 different samples that they sent, probably introducing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, six different styles at the start, and from those six different styles, we'll probably have two that are unpopular at the beginning, and we'll let them sell out. And then the next year, when we come around, we will introduce a couple more. We've done the same thing like that with Big Ben, which we introduced last year. Uh, had a couple of shapes and a couple of finishes that aren't doing so well. And at the Chicago Pipe Show, we introduced a couple of new finishes, new lines, couple more a uh, couple different price points in there so anytime you're looking at bringing a new product to market it's very similar to what goes on in the rest of the world except with pipes and with some uh, with some pipe tobaccos in particular there's limitations on raw materials that you got to work with there's limitations on supply of that raw material as well and when you talk about developing a pipe tobacco you just can't go out and grab a super grade of Virginia or a really high grade Oriental anymore. So you have to look at how much can you get of that. Uh, in particular, with one of these lines of pipes, we're looking at how much time does it take for them to make a particular shape versus the other. So you've got to figure that in, figure in the demand and the quantities that you can sell. With shipping coming over from Europe and from Asia on products, you've also got to figure in quantities that are worthwhile shipping because the last thing you want to do is ship in a small amount and then have to order three times more real quick because then you get eaten up in shipping costs. So there's a little behind the scenes of how a new pipe or a new accessory comes to the market and uh, what all goes on with it. So far, just to fill you in a little bit, we're working on the uh, on the new giant shape. We've been talking about this now for six months, and we're hoping to get samples of the finished products in time for the July trade show. All right, in just a few minutes, Ernie Markle will be on the phone with me. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. 
William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining me now is my friend and now full-time pipe maker extraordinaire, Ernie Markle. Ernie, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here, Brian. All right, so for those people that don't know you, tell us where'd you grow up, where are you from, all that stuff. Let's get a little background on you. No social security number is needed. Okay. Um, so I spent most of my uh, early years. I, my dad was a Marine um, when I was a, when I was real young. So um, I was born in Pensacola, Florida, and kind of moved around the South a little bit, um, and then we kind of landed in Colorado. So I spent most of my years from uh, I guess from seven on. Um, going up there and lived in a few places across the state and um, finally ended up going to ASU and that's what brought me down to Phoenix here and uh, I now endure the summers and miss the Rockies. Now I got to argue with you about ASU because Uh ASU out where you are is Arizona State University. Oh yes. ASU, where I am, is Appalachian State University, home of the Mountaineers, and my son, so uh, we were first. Okay, all right, I'll I'll give you that, I concede. Okay, but I just want want you to know that we were the original ASU, even though we go by App State. Okay, done, done. What was your major in college? I was a double major. Um, I was a... my first, my, I guess my primary major is philosophy, and then my second major is Spanish. Okay, so philosophy and Spanish. And yeah. then, now, I, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Um, what were you doing for work prior to now becoming a pipe maker full-time? So, um, the job that I just left, I was working in financial services industry. Um, I was working with 401k plans and... Um, I was just an account rep for them, kind of going out to different groups, different clients, uh, making sure that um, the funds that they had were performing the way that they wanted or meeting whatever goals they uh, were trying to accomplish with them. And there's a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes work with uh, testing and audits and stuff. Um, so I helped them uh, hit those goals as well. So how does somebody who's double majoring in philosophy and Spanish, uh, how, do yeah. you, how do you get into financial planning? Yeah, um, I don't know how you do much of anything with uh, with a degree in philosophy, frankly, other than, you know, sit around and opine about the meaning of life. Um, <laughs> I, I just kind of I just kind of stumbled into it. I guess my my wife was doing 
um, the 401k stuff. And financial services is a, is a nice industry. They have um, pretty good benefits. They have a lot of time off. And um, and actually, for me, one of the one of the big motivators was I was I was just scared to death of public speaking, and um, and so I wanted, part of that job was we would go out and we would talk to the employees in, in group settings and uh, kind of explain the benefits of the 401k plan and the specifics of their plan and why they needed to, um, you know, save for retirement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel that you, you know, probably heard a hundred times yourself. And, you know, you, you do that in front of 70 or hundred people and uh, it doesn't take too long before you're, you're not as intimidated by public speaking. So that, for me, that was a big motivator. Um, I wanted to get over my fear of speaking in public and, uh, and did so pretty, pretty quickly with that. Did the Spanish also help you based off of you being in Phoenix? Yeah, I did. I was I was actually hired as a bilingual rep, so um, it was it was good for me. I was able to um, fall back on that quite a bit, and and you know did a lot of meetings in in Spanish. But I will say, you know, it didn't take very long for my Spanish to get rusty really quickly. So um, I am not nearly as proficient as I once was, unfortunately. And, and can I ask you the question that I like to ask a lot of Spanish-speaking people, which is, Uh-oh. do you do you speak real classical Spanish or do you speak the regional Spanish? Yeah, I mean, I I would love to say that I speak, you know, really proper, um, you know, like Castellano or even the, what they speak in Uruguay apparently is very proper and very clear. And uh, no, I, I I speak more. English, more uh, more the Mexican type Spanish, which you know, no offense for you Mexican speakers, um, but it's just it's a different, like you said, more regional dialect kind of thing. Um, and I don't have very much exposure to you know more proper Spanish. It, it's very for those that aren't familiar with Spanish, there are there are dialects that are essentially the same as Southern Southern American versus proper British versus. I don't know, even even the Canadians have a different lingo. Exactly, yeah. So when did you start smoking a pipe? Um, I start. I, I bought a, my very first pipe was like a corn cob, and I bought that when I was, I don't know, eighteen or nineteen, probably. Um, and then, but I kind of put it aside and and didn't really come back to. It. I had been smoking cigars kind of off and on, and I just put it aside in favor of cigars. Um, and then I came back to pipes when I was, I don't know, 23, 24. So, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now, so I guess I've been smoking around 11 or 12 years. Do you think it was the philosophy major in you that got you interested in pipes? I, I don't know. It could very well be. All right, let me ask you this. Do you find it easier to uh, to do reading and, and heavy thought when you're smoking a pipe? Um, I don't, I don't know if, if it is particularly helpful to me. I would do that often when I had to read, um, you know, some philosophy stuff in, in hopes that it would, in fact, uh, be beneficial. I'm not sure that it actually was, but, um, I don't know. I, I certainly enjoy reading and smoking a pipe. When you got back into it, what kind of pipes did you get? What, what kind of tobaccos were you smoking? Yeah. So the very the, the first thing that I bought uh, with that corn cob was some kind of um, you know vanilla Cavendish type thing, and it 
you know, it produced a sensation that was rather akin to um, sucking on a habanero pepper. <laughs> um, so that, that was the reason that I really uh, that I put the pipe down for a while. Um, so when I when I kind of got back into it, I, I bought a little uh, a little Parker Bulldog from one of my local tobacconists out here, and then um, I don't remember what I started with tobacco wise um, on the second take, but it was it was more um, a little more proper, a little more um, English. One one of my early blends that they, that the uh, the guy pointed me to was uh, was nine six five, uh, which is you know a great. A great blend. I really enjoy that still, um, and it just you know it just kind of snowballed and went from there. And when did the pipe making come in? Man, that is that's a tough question for me to answer. I um, in oh seven oh six oh seven I got interested in it, and I, honestly, I was just I was just looking at um, at pictures of pipes on on smoking pipes, and. Um, I, I just told Alex Florov, it was actually one of his pipes that I was looking at. I just told him in Chicago a few weeks ago. Uh, it was one of his pipes that I was looking at, thinking, man, how did he How did he do that, you know? And, and it really had never even occurred to me, um, you know, what the process was like, what was involved, um, how it's done, et cetera, et cetera. And so then I was just uh, just suddenly struck with the idea and, and very curious about it. So spent some time um, investigating what that looks like, and I found that. Pipe Makers Forum, and um, the rest is sort of history, I guess. What was the hardest thing for you to learn to do when you started making pipes? Um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so it was really everything was challenging for me because every time I would do something for the first time, of course it wasn't right. It wasn't the way that it should have been. Um, so that was frustrating to me. Um, I mean, even, even simple things like... Um, you know, making the uh, draft hole and the and the bowl itself, the chamber, meet up uh, right where it needs to. I, you know, I couldn't do it the first probably dozen times that I did it. It, it was always off. Um, so that was difficult for me. There were there were difficulties with you know drilling the stem and and getting the mortise um, and tenon to to be tight but not too tight. And I mean, everything was a challenge initially. I I really didn't have any experience with woodworking. Um, I didn't even know, you know, one of the primary tools we use, the metal lathes. I had never even heard of metal lathes before I started investigating this whole, um, this whole business. So um, everything to me was, was kind of an uphill battle. What happened to those first pipes you made? You know, I don't know. They're, they're probably consigned to some dark corner of my shop here I, and, uh, and are not for public display, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you uh, was there was there a breakthrough moment for you when you realized that hey I can make these? Yeah, um, I had. So I went out in in 2000. So I, I, I said initially I was kind of interested in pipe making in 06, 07, but I really kind of stalled. I didn't want to um, spend time and money learning to make pipes initially. If I you know if I wasn't going to be any good at it, or if I um, I wouldn't enjoy it, certainly. And so it wasn't until 2009 I went to the, um, I believe it was the very first Vegas show, um, and I met a few makers, and um, and, and I kind of got a little bit connected into the community, and that, that rekindled my interest in, in making. And so um, 
I met Jeff Grasick and then saw him again at the Chicago show. I uh, had a few pipes. He invited me to come out to his shop, and he was really very encouraging to me. And he's in one of the pipes that I made in his shop. He said, "You know, this is um, this is a nice pipe. You could, you know, you could sell this." And up at, up until that point, really, the idea of being a pipe maker in, in a professional sense had never really crossed my mind. I mean, in, in the in the sense that it was a uh, a faraway dream, you know, or whatever. Sure, that would be. Uh, you know, it would have been great at the time, but it wasn't something that I had seriously considered at all. So kind of when, when I went out with Jeff, spent time with him, and he was encouraging and saying, hey, you, you know, you've got some talent here, that um, to me that was the point where I was like, well, maybe I should uh, invest a little bit more into this. What did your wife think about all this? <laughs> you know, um, she, my wife's great. She, she's always very encouraging, and um, she's just she's great source of inspiration and encouragement in my life. Um, so she's, she's kind of been behind me the whole time. Obviously, the, um, there's a huge disconnect between liking something and being able to make a living at it. Um, so, you know, it took a few years before um, the idea was, uh, frankly, to, to both of us, the idea was um, something that we would uh, be willing to seriously consider. But, um, but yeah, I mean, she's always been, been behind me and, uh, She's, she's great. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more pipes with Ernie. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Heck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, still visiting with uh, pipe maker extraordinaire Ernie Markle. Ernie, when you uh, when you got back into pipe smoking, uh, what brands of pipes or makers did you did you find yourself drawn to? You know, I was interested early on. I was interested in um, Dunhills, and um, I, I think the, the so the first pipe, the first Briar pipe I bought was a was a Parker. Uh, and then I picked up um, a few months later. I picked up a Peterson, and then um, 
after that, and that, I think that pipe was like $86, and I was, I was terrified to, uh, to spend $86 on a pipe. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting to me now, you know, walking around these pipe shows, I don't even blink if there are pipes that are, you know, well over $1,000. Um, not that I buy pipes like that, but so, so I was interested in, in Dunhills and, and I purchased a few of those and, um, just kind of, kind of all over the place, I guess, initially. I, I'm, I like classic, um, shapes. I like classic things in general. So, um, to me, I was kind of drawn towards, um, Dunhills and so some of the older stuff like the GBDs and the, um, some of the Kamoys and stuff like that were, were interesting to me as well. In the in the pipes that you're making, I mean, uh, we'll we'll go back about four years when I was working for Smoking Pipes, and one of your contrast blasted, I don't know what you call it, but it looked like a strawberry kind of a shape to me, turned upside down a little bit. That pipe came through, and I remember I remember who exactly I sold it to. That's how much I remember it. Uh, was the 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 idea of the shaping and the contrast blasting, was that kind of learned from your time working with Jeff Grasick? Yeah, um, definitely. I, my, I would say Jeff um, and Brett Holman, too, both have been big influences on me. Um, I've spent a little more time with Jeff than I have with Brad, um, but kind of uh, the technique or the approach to shaping is, is um, very much something that I've learned from Jeff. Um, the aesthetic, uh, you know, I, I draw pretty heavily from, um, I guess, a lot of American makers. Um, and it, I feel like my style is, is pretty solidly within the um, American school. But, but yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that I draw from. I, I certainly look to the Danes a lot, um, although I don't think the Danes would, <laughs> would say that my pipes are exactly Danish. Um, but there are a lot of people that I look to. And now I'll tell the story even a little bit further because a year ago in Chicago, I wanted to see your pipes when you when you walked into the into the smoking tent, and I had in my mind that that same contrast blast kind of a strawberry shape, and you opened up your case, and I don't even remember what other pipes were in it, but I bought one from you that is a long. Billiard. I mean, it's a long lumberman, a large Levat, smooth, classic-shaped billiard, and it just kind of it. Literally, when you opened the case, it shined at me, and I couldn't see the other pipes. Awesome. That's so, what I like to hear. So your your classical shaping hit it dead on because it very much reminds me of one of those older English factories. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I I really I really appreciate. Um, Kind of, in some ways, people, I guess people would think they're plain, uh, but kind of understated classic look is um, something that I very much um, aspire towards and um, and strive to hit in, in a lot of shapes. And now, right before this last Chicago Pipe Show a couple of weeks ago, you announced that you are going full-time as a pipe maker. I am, yeah. What was the decision behind that? What What was the motivation? You know, I was burned out at at my uh, at the four hundred one k thing. I had been for a while, and I was tired of it. And I started um, I started looking for another job, uh, and and met with some friends of mine, uh, people that I knew, 
who, you know, did their own thing and, and just kind of were outside the box thinkers. Talked to a guy who was a, a headhunter in the, in the medical world and, um, looking maybe to sell pharmaceuticals or something. Anyway, I kind of was just out trying to find something else that would be a good fit. And a friend of mine really said, Hey, you know, you're, it seems like you really want to be a pipe maker. Um, and you might be, um, trying to dodge the, uh, the issue and, and do something that might be a little easier, or a little bit safer than going in and doing your own thing. And when he said that, it kind of, it kind of resonated with me. And I thought, man, I, I think I am trying to, to play it safe. And I, I'm not generally a risk taker. Um, so not going out and, and doing that was, uh, more natural to me. Um, but as soon as you said that, I, I thought, you know, I, I should give it a try and, and just see how it see how it works and see what the ins and outs are like and, and get to know uh, what pipe making is. And I am I'm thrilled that I that I did that because uh, it's just been a great fit. And how old are your kids now? Uh, so I have three boys and they are five, three, and ten months old. So are you able to spend some time at home with them in between the pipe making now? I am. It's, it's really nice. I, I can, uh, you know, I come out to the shop in the evenings after they go down to bed. Um, so I can spend a little time working then. And that gives me a lot of time throughout the day to kind of go in and just kind of check in with them and see how they are, and, you know, play cards and, and do whatever whatever uh, crazy boy thing they're, they're involved in at that <laughs> point in time. <laughs> Three boys. I would imagine there's a lot of activity. <laughs> yeah, a lot of activity and a lot of noise. So my my poor wife, she is a saint. Uh, gonna try for a girl, or is or is that about it? I I, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind having more kids, but um, it, like I said, there's a lot of noise in the house right now. So <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> Are you doing your? Let's go back to pipes for a minute. Are you doing your pipes the uh, the, the Danish style? Or are you are you doing a more the the classic style of drilling them on a lathe first and then shaping? You know, it, it just depends on what kind of a shape I'm doing. If it's a classic like uh, the one that you had mentioned, I, I just turn that on the lathe. It's um, it's pretty easy to do it that way. Um, if it's like the uh, like the strawberry acorn thing you were describing before. Um, that I would just drill drill by hand. So I, I would shape it first and then drill it on the lathe. Each each a completely different style, each a completely different process. Uh, about how much time does it take you to make a pipe from start to finish? Um, you know, I would say my average time is probably about 11 or 12 hours. So there, there's a little bit of your life in each one of the pipes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's a fairly significant investment of time. I mean, for for a, a an item that weighs you know an ounce or an ounce and a half kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, where's where do your pipes start out pricing wise? Um, so I start my pipe, the basic blast um, pipe at four hundred dollars, and it just kind of goes up from there. And have you made a thousand dollar pipe yet? I have not made a thousand dollar pipe. So I'm going to have to see you at uh, Chicago next year. I'm busy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you're not making pipes and uh, not hanging out with the family, what else do you like mm -hmm. to do? Well, um, I I really enjoy outdoor stuff. So um, 
like to go hiking. I like to go um, backpacking. I used to, before we had kids, I used to go up to Colorado every year and, and go hike 14ers, uh, which are mountains above 14,000 feet. Um, it's not uh, it's not something I get a, a lot of time to do these days with, uh, with all those kids running around. But, you know, we still try to, we go out to the park and stuff like that um, and still try to get outdoors and, and hang out. Um, obviously in Arizona, in the summertime, that's not a big option for us, unfortunately. But uh, we'll go up to Colorado. It's been a few weeks up there this summer and, and try to get out and enjoy the enjoy the outdoors. You know, in a few more years, you'll have those boys carrying your packs for you on the on those uh, on those hikes. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And then you'll have to do that. It, you'll have to bring more food, but yeah, yeah. Well, they'll be strong. They'll be able to carry it all. It's that's a great idea. When I'm when I'm a little bit older, I'll just be able to throw everything on their back, and we'll still be able to hit the mountains. Perfect. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this: being in Arizona, where it's an exceptionally dry summer. Have you tested the weight of the blocks of briar when you when you first receive them, and then after they've been sitting in in Phoenix for a couple of months? Yeah, that's a great question. I I have done that. Um, so I've got uh, I actually have a few blocks still sitting aside that I have gone through periodically and written down the weights um, on the side and, and just kind of weigh them every I don't know six or eight months just to see. And there has been um, a noticeable difference um, out of a block. Last time, last time I looked, I think there was uh, I don't I don't remember exactly, but 17 or 18 grams uh, difference. So a little over half of an ounce um, out of a block that probably weighs you know six ounces or something. So it's a fairly a fairly noticeable difference. So the blocks are still losing; they're still losing moisture even even after you've gotten them from a from the briar mill. Uh, does being in Arizona make it a little more difficult to make pipes? Because does it make the does it make the block a little more fragile when you're working with it? You know, not to my knowledge. I, I don't I don't know. So I, I I've been out with uh, with Jeff Graysick a number of times and working in his shop um, and made several pipes out there. Um, also spent a few days out with Adam Davidson, um, a couple months ago. And, you know, honestly, I don't notice a difference, um, between the actual process, uh, of making a pipe. If, if it is drier climate, it makes it easier, harder, whatever, more brittle, any of that. When you're out working with some of these other pipe makers and you're in their shops, do you find it a little, uh, a a completely different process because they keep their tools in different places or they keep their, uh, their machineries laid out differently. Yes, absolutely. It, sometimes that's kind of a, a maddening experience too, because you know, you know exactly where the tools are in your shop, you know exactly what tool you use for what job and how you do it. And, um, you know, you go to somebody else's shop and obviously things are, are different in some cases, significantly different. Um, you know, Adam does his shaping on a on a wood lathe, and he basically bends. It, it's at a, I mean, it's it's pretty low. Like, I don't know, twenty. The base is probably like twenty four inches off the ground. So he's sitting down and bending over this uh, this wood lathe, and for me, it was. I mean, it was hurting my back to do it that way. But you know, that's the way he's accustomed to doing it. So 
um, a lot of differences and um, a lot of different ways to to approach it. How many pipes do you expect to make this year now that you're full-time? Um, you know, I'm looking at about 120 this year is, is my hope. I, if I hit uh, between 100 and 120, I'll be happy. And what's the best way for somebody to get one of your pipes? You know, um, you can go to my website, um, which is, you just go to erniemarkle.com, E-R-N-I-E-M like Mike, A-R-K-L-E.com. Um, all my contact information is there. Um, I will be posting pipes periodically for sale there. Um, but otherwise, you can you can contact me and, and let me know if you're interested in something. Um, otherwise, certainly go to smokingpipes.com or scannedpipes.com. So you're doing both. Uh, you got a couple of retailers, and you're doing stuff directly off of your own website. I do, yes. We will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I think so. What's your favorite pipe? Oh, my goodness, I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess I really like uh, the Danish uh, billiards, so something by Lars or Yes uh, are wonderful pipes. Yeah, can't blame you. Uh, what's your favorite tobacco? Ooh, um... I've been on a Penzance kick lately, so I'll, I'll go with that. And what's your favorite drink? I like uh, some of the smoky PD scotches, like uh, Lafroig or Colila or something like that. When it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Oh, that one's easy. It would be a book. <laughs> with your kids, it might be a Dr. Seuss book. And last question, any particularly favorite pipe-smoking memory? Um, you know, I just I enjoy going to the shows and just hanging out with, uh, with everybody. Uh, maybe that first show that I went to up in Vegas, because um, it was kind of uh, the beginning of my, uh, I guess, the pipe community experience for me. So just a lot of fun memories out of that. Yeah, I will say that the uh, pipe shows have provided me with a lot of my favorite memories, including one with you, which we don't have time to get into. But if you want to see Ernie's pipes, it's Ernie Markle, E-R-N-I-E-M-A-R-K-L-E dot com. And uh, I saw there's a couple up on smoking pipes as well. So check out his pipes. Ernie, hey, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. Oh, hey, one last thing. If you are if you run out of sandblasting medium, being in Phoenix, can you go out to your backyard and get more sand? <laughs> I don't know. I'll give it a try. <laughs> we'll be back with the show in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on sutliffmoltodolce.com. Do you mind if I try? 
Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And, signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. <laughs> hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Malta Dolce blend in public. Welcome back. Hey, please do stop by Ernie's website. Let's help support him as he uh, starts off as a full-time pipe maker. All right, so for music, uh, got a little bit, uh, well, got a whole CD of Segovia from my friend Dino, and I found... This piece in particular that's technically a sonata for keyboard. It was written by Domenico Scarlatti, and I really like Segovia's take on this, so we'll have a little classical guitar this week. Thank you. 
CD is titled Andre Segovia in the Baroque guitar. On the cover of it, he's smoking a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Dunhill gold-mounted spigot. It's a gorgeous-looking pipe, but Segovia always photographed with his pipes, and I always enjoy listening to masters perform their uh, their instruments. What's this? A letter. What other show so smoothly combines a discussion of NASCAR, philosophy, pipe making, Andre Segovia, and a little bit of Bugs Bunny in there, all in one shot? All right, I do want to say thank you again to Dino. Dino sent me a couple of other CDs, one of which you may never hear on it, but it's a class. It's a it's all classical variations of Disney stuff. I may play some down the road. Never know. But thank you again, Dino. Regarding last week's show, Ed Green writes another great show, entertaining and informative as advertised. I just wanted to ask you, you know when you give histories of companies and carvers that are great values, the bids go immediately up on the bay, and they're not such great values anymore, right? I've seen the radio show affect prices on the bay a few times. That kind of power must be intoxicating. (laughs) I wish... I wish I had that kind of power with a lot of other things, but um, yeah, sorry I do that to some people. I did it to myself with the Disney collection because prior to uh, the article coming out on it in it in 2006, I was buying every Disney pipe I could get for you know 15 to 20 bucks. Now I'm lucky if I can catch one for 40 to 50 dollars. I've seen some crazy bidding happen on some. Disney pipes that have gone up over $75, uh, $80, hundreds of dollars. But, yeah, God, I wish I had that much power. A um, couple of you commented on uh, Jerry and his uh, love of Meerschaum. It is nice to find some people that really do truly enjoy Meerschaum and are dedicated to Meerschaum pipes and smoking them. I really like hearing what they have to say about the pipes because... Uh, you know, because I really don't have that much exposure to Meerschaum. Uh, I liked what Jerry said about how it changes over time and the pipe develops with you as you smoke it. There is also a thread on the forums going on about uh, attending the show live for anybody that might be in the area. I would love to do that. However, it gets a little chaotic in here, especially with everything going on with the show and the time crunch. Uh, the other problem, and Kevin can... Uh, Kevin can attest to this. This time of the year, I can't have any air conditioning or any fans on in my uh, tiny little office built here in Concord, North Carolina. And right about now, 50 minutes into the show or so, it's probably about 80 degrees in here and getting pretty steamy and smoky. So maybe it's something we can work out in the fall. I'll have to see if I can get somebody in here to help me run a couple of things so that I can... uh, get some air moving, and help mute the sound a little bit. There has been another thread bouncing around earlier this week on PipesMagazine.com, and the uh, title of the thread is, What is your most expensive pipe? Why do you buy it? And do you regret it? 
One of the comments that the original poster, a uh, forum member named N-K-O-U-R-I-L-O, Nick Arillo, I guess, uh, he says, you know, in, in talking about how much you should spend on a pipe, he says at the end of the day, a pipe is simply a nicotine delivery a nicotine delivery system. There we go. Uh, Doddle Warden says, I beg to differ. Many pipe smokers are even intolerant to nicotine and stick with lighter nicotine blends. Smoking a pipe involves far more than ingesting nicotine. However, the nicotine can be a plus. Cigarettes may be referred to as a nicotine delivery system, but pipes and cigars are about enjoying the pleasure of smoking the tobacco, not just the side effects. Down a little further on the thread... Uh, forum member too old T-U-O-L-D says, I suppose a pipe is no more a nicotine delivery device than a Lamborghini Veneno is a person delivery device. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. No, I guess if you're talking about a commuter car or you're talking about a Ford, you're not talking about a Lamborghini. Uh, he also says pipes can have a special look and feel that enhances the smoking experience. The one you choose to use at any given time depends on the occasion of your mood. Yeah, so pipes as a nicotine delivery device, not exactly what I would consider a, uh, not exactly what I would consider them a, a good use for. I'd consider them a use of great enjoyment and pleasure. All right, please do not forget to write your members of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate and remind them that we uh, don't want our lovely little hobby of pipes and pipe tobacco affected by uh, by, un by uh, undue heavy regulations of the Food and Drug Administration, so please make sure and do that. I'll keep you updated on any news that I hear coming out of the FDA just as soon as possible. Uh, got a whole bunch of really good guests lined up for the month of June. Got a bunch of really good, exciting shows coming up, so keep checking on those. If you are on iTunes, please, please leave us an iTunes rating or review. And remember, we have moved the show into the hobbies section. Also, coming up, coming up, Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show. That is, uh, when am I going there? I will be there Friday, June 20th, Saturday, June 21st, Sunday, June 22nd. Then in the fall or towards the end of summer, after everything's passed, August, the NASPC show Saturday, August 23rd, technically starts Friday, August 22nd. And then in Nashville, September 20th, the Music City Pipe Show is coming up 2014 Richmond Pipe Show, October 10th, 11th, and 12th in Richmond, Virginia. And start planning to, those of you on the West Coast, the annual West Coast Pipe Show, Palace Station, Las Vegas, Nevada, November 8th and 9th. Technically November 7th, 8th, and 9th. Remember, if you haven't had a chance to get to a pipe show, yeah, I harped on them pretty good last year. Haven't harped on them in a while, but the stuff that you'll learn at pipe shows, the people that you'll meet, the information that you'll gather, the pipes that you'll see, the tobacco samples, all that stuff, all invaluable information. And just ask some of the people that have gone to pipe shows for the first time recently. They don't know what to think afterwards. It's just amazing. 
Let me take a quick minute right here to update you on my house. <laughs> no, it's not back together again, and now my son's home from college for the summer, and there's four of us with one bathroom, because the original contractor that we hired to uh, to do the rebuild, well, about four weeks ago, he uh, kind of quit. We fired him because they refused to try to match the texture of the uh, the shot texture on the ceiling. They refused to take a second shot at it. I told them I didn't want them doing any more work on the house. There were some words said back and forth, and to uh, say the least, I can't talk about it any more than, yeah, we're uh, we're moving on to a second contractor, and they have started started tearing out some of the work that the first one did this morning. So it's all starting over again. Hopefully another couple of weeks, and it'll all be put back together again. Uh, the other secret to getting Jimmy Johnson's autograph? Well, my daughter went to the back of Victory Circle or Victory Lane there. We waited two hours because Jimmy had to do all the pictures with the sponsors and all that stuff in Victory Lane. Then he scurried past us and said, I'll be back, I'll be back out, I promise, and had to go in and talk to the media. So two hours to get Two little squiggles on there. Maybe I'll put a picture of the signature on the uh, on the webpage for the show. Um, anyway, that's how you get Jimmy Johnson's autograph. All right, everybody, rant time next. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. I did it. I finally hashtagged. Now, I have no idea why the hell they call it a hashtag. To me, it looks like the pound sign from the telephone and the pound sign from when you're writing down a number. But anyway, it's called a hashtag. Now, I really have no idea what the hell it's for, but you're supposed to hashtag these 
trends or whatever, these phrases, so that it's more searchable. Well, who the hell starts hashtags anyway? I mean, do you have to go and register your hashtag with the uh, with the hashtag alliance committee? What if I wanted to hashtag my name? Would that mean that all of a sudden I'd become searchable more or whatever, or become more trending? What is it that you do with these hashtags? Can you just, can anybody create a hashtag? Uh, my friend, pipe maker and uh, pipesmagazine.com writer Steve Morissette uses more hashtags than the hash cook at, uh, at the Waffle House uses. What does all that mean? Is it Does it make it more searchable so if somebody gets a catchphrase or whatever, you can search it? So does that mean that I should like uh, hashtag the leading expert on my own opinion and you're welcome to it? Would that be my hashtag? I don't know, but if somebody can tell me what all this means and what it's for, that's wonderful. But I did my first hashtag this weekend to uh, help out the, uh, the, the number 16 drive for diabetes cure and uh, you were supposed to post pictures on Facebook or something and hashtag it. Anyway, I did that. So I am now part of the 21st century hashtagging. However, I've yet to sign up for Twitter. Don't Twitter me or post. I, I don't need Twitter. I've got Facebook and email and a telephone and that's just plenty of things that I need to keep track of. But if somebody could please explain to me what exactly a hashtag is and how it works, that would be wonderful. I want to thank Ernie Markle for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. Hey, don't forget, please leave comments. Post them on the show page on the forums. I do read them all and look forward to them. And uh, don't forget those iTunes reviews or post reviews wherever you happen to listen to the show. I don't know. It helps. Maybe if you hashtag it, it'll even help more. But... I don't know. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Hashtag smoking lamp is lit. Hashtag pipes magazine radio show. Hashtag leading expert on my own opinion. Hashtag Brian Levine. Hashtag pipes. Hashtag artisan pipes. Hashtag I love tobacco. Hashtag hashtag pound sign pound sign. 